Hi, this is Kenny, Aaron, and William. Join us as we talk about all things sex-related at the Sexology Institute in San Antonio, Texas. Hello, everybody. Hey, Erin. Hey, Will. Hello. All right. So in our last podcast together, uh, Erin, Will, and I went over um, some sexual health information because it's been several episodes since we've actually taken the time to do so. And I wanted to take a few minutes and just touch on some specifics when talking about women's sexual health and how engaging with medical professionals can impact a woman's psychological view of their sexual health. Because a lot of times, as we stated before, um, culturally, it can be a taboo subject where people think that they cannot speak about it, um, they don't ask questions about it, or they may wait to where it's kind of too late and then medical intervention has to happen. So I wanted to take some time. Um, and then as we kind of finish out uh, the month of February, which is, um, you know, African-American History Month, Black History Month, um, I wanna just kind of like take a little moment to talk about that as well, because the prevalence of women of color or people of color POCs dying because of their uh, anatomy not being, you know, adequately treated, the numbers are outrageous. So I just wanted to take some time to talk about that. Okay, looking forward to it. As we kind of decided what we were going to talk about for the topic this week, it came to mind. Uh, medical professionals sometimes claim that women are overreacting or being hysterical about medical issues. And I myself have had my own experience with that when somebody's telling me there's nothing wrong with my vagina and I'm like, wait a minute, are you wearing my vagina? Cause I definitely <laughs> detached. It's attached to me and it's, there's something that needs to be done. I need to have a conversation and not be, you know, just kind of dismissed. And that happens a lot with young individuals who are engaging in or beginning their sexual life. Or and even at that, even if you're not young, even if you have just started being intimate and you're learning about your body, when doctors blow you off and you're asking questions, that could be really disheartening. And uh, then you don't have any, another place to turn. Do you think that um, a lot of this has to do with doctors don't really get a lot of education in medical school about the pleasure part? of sexuality. They get the education about just the anatomy and the physiology part, but not necessarily the pleasure centers associated with sexuality. Or what what do you think it is it's about? Erin, that's a really good point. We I think you had mentioned that in a previous episode where doctors they learn all about the anatomy, but there's little to no focus about the pleasure part of what both male and female anatomy can do. And so when clients or um, patients, because in that arena, they're patients, when we're talking medically, when patients are talking about 
when I'm having intercourse, it's painful or there's not enough lubrication. I'm having to use, you know, some sort of lubricant or anything like that. Doctors are embarrassed and then they don't have the resources to refer them to individuals like yourself or Will, you being a sex therapist and Will being a coach to help an individual, you know, kind of seek pleasure, know pleasure and understand pleasure for themselves. So absolutely, it's a lack of education. And then even those individuals who go like in obstetricians or gynecology or urology, mm-hmm. even at that, their modules where they're learning about pleasure, very small. It's a very small portion of their education. If people don't know, the word hysterical comes from hysterectomy. It used to be in the DSM-5 that women were hysterical and they used to prescribe hysterectomies. So (laughs) that's terrible. (laughs) So that's where that, that language came from where males said that a woman was having an emotional outburst. She needed to be hospitalized and the prescription to get her to be less crazy is let me remove her sexual organs and then she will no longer be hysterical. So that's where that comes from, which every time I think about it, it kind of blows my mind. What happens when men are hysterical? They're promoted. Okay. True. That is so true. Okay. <laughs> I apologize for all our Romeo listeners. I that was tacky. Um, no, don't apologize because it's true. <laughs> Nothing gets cut off. <laughs> it's true. Nothing is removed from your body, which goes into that next part of privilege when it comes to sexual health. When women are no longer or aren't experiencing pleasurable sensations, we are told to change our bodies. Whereas when men are no longer feeling sexual pleasure, there are medications that help you get an erection. The pornography industry is a billion dollar industry that only now incorporates women's fantasies, but for the, Majority of the part, it's what the fantasies of a man are looking for. There's a lot of privilege that goes into sexual well-being if you are a man. Despite there being some cultural overtones of what you are and are not allowed to enjoy, unfortunately, still today in 2021, if a woman enjoys certain things, it's taboo. We get to have this forum to talk about vibrators and lubrication where you can enjoy yourself. But many women shop in the dark. They don't get to go to stores and talk to a concierge to say, this is my problem. This is what I'm trying to help fix. This is what's not working so that they can get the education. Okay, so it sounds to me like when you're having an orgasm, more often than not, it's a clitoral orgasm compared to a G-spot orgasm. So if you use this item, you will be more fulfilled. 
compared to this item. We are blessed because we get to educate, but multiple women across this nation don't get that. And so people are unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and thinking that their problem is their problem. And then there's not a conversation with medical professionals when it comes to hormone. And if you're experiencing dryness, you're expected to just be in pain. Then sex is not fun. And no, I don't want to have sex if it's painful. And it's not a conversation that's being had. And so those were some of the things that really kind of like stood out for me when we started to talk about this is what we're going to talk about this week. And then... I got to reading, I came across, you know, what happens for male partners when their female partners experience a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy or a, some sort of trauma during a pregnancy, where are the resources for husbands or male partners, or even so, Like if there are same sex partners, so if it's a female couple and one person is unable to conceive and, you know, there is a conception and then the pregnancy is terminated or lost. So I found it to be like, there's not a lot of resources available, which was shocking and sad and really upsetting to me as I was doing my reading. And a lot of people don't know how to have that conversation. And really what it really boils down to is support. Taking the time to acknowledge that it's your loss too, and not just the person who is carrying the child. And finding a group of people that you can feel safe speaking to. One of my goals in these upcoming weeks is to find some more resources that I could provide to our watchers and our listeners, because there's not a lot out there. Erin, have you come across anything in your conversations for partners who have lost a pregnancy? I haven't. I haven't come across any any good resources, um, but the conversations are coming up. The dad, you know, is feeling the, the sense of loss as well. Not just the sense of loss, but like if it's a miscarriage, then okay, it's a sense of loss. You know, I've lost a child too. And then if it's a an abortion for whatever reason, sometimes the guy feels like, well, I didn't have any say in the decision, in the decision-making process. You know, and I'm not going to get off into abortion, okay? I'm, I'm talking about You know, if the abortion was for a medical reason or for whatever reason, you know, sometimes I've heard guys talk about that. I didn't feel like I had a voice in the decision making process or I wanted the baby. Okay, so I I have just heard those kind of conversations and I've not heard a lot of um, come across a lot of resources for that area. Especially like between now and our next recording is to see what's available and put it in a place for people to reach out and find resources. It is not only just to loss, but sometimes with those situations, whether it's a miscarriage, an abortion, or an ectopic pregnancy, they have that possibility of also losing their partner. 
And so that also, that fear or lack of control, hopelessness, that goes hand in hand. Because if down the road, once it's okay, you know, physically okay, and you're engaging in intercourse down the road, that psychological part of you, as we were talking about, you know, sexual health for both men and women, that could cause you anxiety. What if this happens again? Yeah. And it could lead to erectile dysfunction. And so those resources of speaking with a therapist could be really beneficial. Lastly, one of the things that I wanted to touch on, because we did just mention abortion. So the ectopic pregnancy, the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians has a whole page on their website talking about ectopic pregnancies. Um, What it is, is when the egg in a woman's fallopian tube um, doesn't make it down. And so that the, the egg is fertilized in the fallopian tube and it could either, you know, rupture the fallopian tube and there has to be a, a surgery or it could be where it, grows, you test preg- you test positive for a pregnancy, and then um, it could pass on itself, or you might still have a surgery. Bottom line is the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians recognizes it's an unavoidable loss of human life that occurs, um, but does not consider the treatment of ectopic pregnancy by standard surgical or medical procedures to be the more equivalent or elective abortion to be the wrongful taking of life, which was really interesting to me because when I've heard stuff like politicized about terminations and when is it okay and is not, people talk from an emotional standpoint as opposed to a scientific one. Yeah. So I went to the source. I went to go find, well, what are the scientists? What are the doctors saying? So that it's not a, you know, an emotional conversation to have. Whatever decision is made, it's not done lightly. So. And so um, explain that, what you just read, explain that. So what it's stating is that the physicians, the obstetricians state one life, meaning the mother's life, is the life that they're saving because pro-life is pro-life. It's not a group of cells because there's no way that those group of cells can live outside of the womb, outside of the mother. So performing the abortion, if it's an eight, uh, an ectopic pregnancy, is not considered abortion by the American Association of Pro-Life Op- of Obstetricians. Okay. It's a life-saving procedure. Okay? And so this is good to know. This is good to put out there publicly. Mm-hmm. And- People can go look it up themselves. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and I encourage I encourage people to because it's an emotional conversation. Yeah, yeah. And it gets so often, you know, politicized here in the United States. Go to the source, read about it, see what the scientists are saying and the doctors are saying. So, in the weeks to come, I hope to have a more succinct presentation so that I can share more information about women's sexual health and how medical professionals 
can advocate or how you can advocate for yourself when speaking to a medical professional about your sexual health. Okay. That'll be very helpful no matter what, you yeah. know, male, female, transgender, that'll be very helpful. I encourage my clients to be their own advocates when they go and speak to mental health, sexual health and medical professionals. I encourage them to do their own research and know their own bodies you know, like what you were talking about at the very beginning, like, you know, you mm -hmm. and, you know, don't back down from that. Um, yes, that person is the expert, but you're the expert on you. I'm so grateful that we get this, like that we're having this conversation so that people have resources to turn to. Yeah. That's all I've got. I just wanted to take a few minutes to kind of touch on it because when we talked about the topic and it was presented for the week, I was like, whoa, there's a lot to be desired in medical journals when I'm like perusing, okay, now what, who, what questions should I be asking? How come I'm not getting an answer? Why is it so hard <laughs> to find an answer, you know, with the people who should be able to help? So. Well, I'm glad that we're, turning the corner and getting back into some uh, sexual health topics. And yeah, some of these are going to be serious and, but some of them are going to be fun. We'll get to some fun ones. And uh, we do encourage people to uh, email us because what we talked about today, it's because we've gotten these questions from people who have mentioned it in sessions or people who have sent us emails. And so that is a way for us to have the topics to put out here for you. Absolutely. You can email me at erin at brighterfutureea.com or you can email Kenny at ktpolit, that's P-O-L-I-T as in tango, 24 at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Erin Alexander, hosted by Kenny Pullett and Aaron Alexander, and mixed and edited by William Lynch.